Rock, 1999, Y2K is about to come. A couple songs on here sort of have some panic, or at least mocking the panic of what's to come. February 23rd, 1999, released, recorded in July of 98 uh, at a vast studio in Seattle with producer Roger Mountainow, 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 who produced Yola Tango's 97 hit, I Can Hear the Heart Beating as one. Took about a year to write... Uh, and the band was really worried about it being Dig Me Out Part 2. So be- I would be too. Yeah, because like, holy shit, that's enormous. How do you but top also that? You get into a, you get into a, like a, a rut. I mean, you, sound, you do the same record over. There's plenty of bands that sound exactly the same over, over, and, over and over and over again. again. And that's exactly why they didn't go with John Goodmanson again. That's why they sought out another Smart. producer. Uh, it's actually named after the 1972 caper film by the same name, Hot Rock. Sure, you've driven one of these things before, right? <clears throat> I don't want to know the answer, neither does he. Wendy Mitchell of CMJ Magazine, which was like a big, used to be a big thing. I can't remember what it stands for it anymore. Before. Was uh, It was like the college music junket, maybe? But that was how you got to be known oh, yeah, before yeah. the internet. College it was like, radio, especially, yeah. For sure. So this was a publication based on that. It says, still holding on to the energy of its youth, but exploring new options. And I think that's a great example of, of the hot rock, the the Intensity is still there, but it is getting older and changing. Trying oh, yeah. new shit, man. No, that's yeah. The entire record is so different than Dig Me Out. Forty-one minutes, thirteen tracks, a little bit longer, but it's not no. Not an opus. Like no, it doesn't even feel like it. Yeah, this this record is a strong contender. If someone were to say that this is their favorite, it makes complete sense to me. It is I the most it. different, even with the woods considered. How rock is like. The branch that didn't go anywhere else for me. Yeah. This is like... Hot, Hot Rock just sits there. It's so weird. And it's perfect. I love it. It's so fucking weird. And what was weird to me is that if you've been listening to this podcast, Growl Marcus, hey. who, uh, we talked a lot about, especially with the Basement Tapes and Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has all these great like insights into Slater Kinney that he wrote. The, the article itself is more of a reference of why aren't we hearing Start Together, which is the very first song on Hot Rock. In, on the radio. He said, quote, uh, this song is, is a culmination so far of the career of a band that has been the best in the country since it began and of the work of a woman who is the most interesting singer in pop music since 1991 when she first opened her mouth in public and a two woman in a two woman drums and guitar punk band with the wonderful name of Heavens to Betsy. 
Thanks, Grail. And then he's talking about hot. Right. He's right. And then talking about <laughs> hot rock in particular, he says, quote, this is the sort of music that makes you shake your head in awe that human beings can create anything so powerful. There are similar moments of the band's earlier records, Dig Me Out and Call the Doctor, which is exactly what you'd want to do in the middle of Start Together, the song. Uh, moments when musicians find that their minds and bodies truly do cease to matter, and the music is a thing apart. But such moments always return to a certain familiar pop structure, a song that you've always heard before. Uh, yeah, I think Start Together, what a great song. Hot Rock, I think, is so, for them, slow and poignant and beautiful and i think that uh, up to this moment i think is their best lyrical um song i think their best lyrics um you can make the case for hot rock and i think i will i think that the best lyrical dives that they do are on hot rock Um, it's a very personal record and i think that's where they shine it's this whole album is just i love that they were like you think you fucking know us so we're gonna I love that people hate it for, I mean, just 90s, you know, like sellout reasons and stuff like that. It's Dumb. It's, it's completely different than the rest of the catalog. And uh, there's a few tracks that were like, okay, we're, we're still the same band. But the ones where they go for it, they fucking go for it. And I love that. Like, we're going to be weird. We're going to do whatever we want. You can keep up or you can jump off. And we don't care either way. Um, Burn Don't Freeze, I think, is a good example of the old. Yeah, so that's uh, Burn Don't Freeze is one of my favorite uh, Don't Talk Like, which is Get Up. I love, I love that spoken verse. That is so much fun. And yeah, then I heard just like, God, oh, God, Corin. Well, to go back to like the, what I was saying about the lyrics, like the hot rock, so good. You wouldn't see this on Dig Me Out. Quote, it's a caper theme. There's a getaway car, a diamond, a steal, a plan that might go wrong. Yep. If this is a setup, please let me know. I can't risk my life for a gilded stone. It's a crafty scene full of power and greed. You tell me not to steal, yet you still want a thief. You write out the plans. I carry out the act, but then I lose it all if I can't bring it back. What? 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 <laughs> yeah, that's not dig me out uh, style, which is really great. And then End of You is a fucking uh, – who doesn't love a nautical metaphor? You know, like – I'm Won't be not the, the captain. I'm just the fan sailing off the edge of truth into the end of you. I mean, it's just beautiful. I have the storm. What a cruel, cruel myth. There's no spotlight that's shown on the ones brave enough to live. So there was a, a little bit of time between this album and uh, Dig Me Out. So Dig Me Out was recorded. Yeah, two years. Two years. Two and a half years. And in that time, Corin Tucker found uh, some availability to form a whole other band, uh, Cadillaca. And they had. Uh, that's a terrible name. It was. Uh, but she had two other women in the band with her. They all had fake names and wigs, but she used that opportunity to work on her voice and explore narrative themes. So this album is is absolutely that. Mm, like cool. there's a hundred percent a vibe of that where yeah, she's true. being a character. Like this, that's why we have a nautical fucking song immediately. Like we wouldn't have done that before. We're because yeah. they're so rooted in reality and the things that are around them, and the things that they're experiencing as as women, as a band, as 
uh, and to be like, we're going to take on a character. That's why the Hot Rock is even able to exist, yeah. the song and the album, is because we're taking on fictional, narrative, different perspectives. Yeah. And I mean, that was another step in their songwriting, for sure, being able to do that at all. So Memorize Your Lines, I don't super love, but the bridge on that song is possibly the best thing on this album. When Korn's screaming, won't you tell me what are we fighting for? Oh, it's yeah, just like... True. There's something about that because this album's so weird. That is like a, a beacon in the beautiful artsy mess of this. It's like this one thing that's always centered to me on this album is her saying that. Yeah, and it's just like not the first time you get stopped in your tracks by her voice, but like, no, Dig Me Out definitely has a direction and a theme and we're all here on board at the same time this album gets away from you that bridge just like whew, like here we are i just showed up song for you i only notated because uh drop little boy's crumbs so you could follow back when you get lost it's becoming a man, man yeah oh, great yeah. fucking great fucking line and then after that yeah just kind of like size of your love nothing living in exile like they're good good mm-hmm. songs but nothing to write home about and then yeah memorize your lines i'm like oh yeah that was and even the majority of the song is like it's still part of that weirdness. Oh, yeah. and then in quarter to three then i'm like but there's a melodica in quarter to three out of nowhere that weird little it's like that air piano have you ever seen that the tiny little piano where you blow into it it's like a fucked up recorder man what's up that's what's up quarter to three is is totally fine like there's enough surprises even when you start to like kind of fade out because it does go on a bit um it this would have been better as like a 35 minute or yeah, it's weird that it's so long, yeah. but I think that's what you have to do. I know, I'm totally with you. Yeah. Experimenting and branching out. Yeah, because you're going to find stuff, uh, multiple listens. When I first heard this, um, even just recently, you know, in the last couple of years, I, I don't think I was that sold on it until I started to kind of contextualize the whole thing. So yeah, For me, when I first came upon Slater Kinney, it was Dig Me Out in the Woods. Just yeah. on repeat, back and forth, and like, I didn't really give the rest. I mean, it's not, but like... I'm so glad that over time, and especially even these last two weeks listening to all of it, yeah, there's so much. So there's much. so much. And the Hot Rock is – you can't have the woods without the Hot Rock. No. You really cannot. So God bless the Hot Rock. We love it immensely. Yes. Kelly, all hands on the bad one. 2000. <laughs> the year 2000. May 2nd, 2000 to be exact. 37 yeah. minutes, 13 tracks. Recorded from December 99 to January of 2000, they survived Y2K wow. at Jackpot Records right here hey, in Portland. What's up? Also a couple Northwest of Northwest 50th right underneath um, Mount Tabor. Oh. Yeah. Off on Division. 50th and Division. Also a little bit of John and Sue's place in Seattle. Like the very first Nirvana demos were recorded there. Mm-hmm. Bleach was recorded there. Now they're going between the guy from Death Cab for Cutie, Chris Walla, the guitarist, bought it. Oh. And then they recorded uh, the photo album Transatlanticism there. And then they sold it to the guy from Fleet Foxes. Fleet Foxes recorded Helplessness Blues in 2010. And then he sold it back to Chris Walla. And they're just going <laughs> back and forth. What the fuck? Yeah, just like recording records. I don't know uh, what Walla's done so far. But yeah, so there's like 
that Stu's play it doesn't really that doesn't exist anymore. I don't think it has existed for a long time. No, it, it was called Reciprocal Records. Uh, Fleet Fox has turned it back into Reciprocal. Uh, but Chris Walla calls it something different. But yeah, they're just like <laughs> they're going back and forth That's just amazing. doing this. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I had no idea. So I, yeah, I mean it's obviously an institution in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, and there's great records. I mean those were all really really great. And uh, what I learned too from uh, what's the place uh, here? Um, Jackpot. Jackpot. Yeah, um, Elliot Smith XO yeah. was was done here. Yeah. Well, Kill Rock Stars. The very first Decemberist record mm-hmm. was done here. Yeah. So Kill Rock Stars, which has done the majority of Slater Kinney's records, yeah. is. Uh, Elliot Smith. Yeah, too. no shit. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, All Hands on the Bad One. One outstanding music album from Did I say All Hands you... on Deck? No, we didn't. Oh, I th- in my head, I'm just keep saying that. Because <laughs> I'm in this nautical <laughs> metaphor, I guess. One outstanding music album from Glad, the Game Lesbian oh, Alliance Against right. Affirmation uh, that year. The songwriting, according to Korn, was spontaneous. Um, they just kind of happened. They got in and they read a book did it on the Civil fast. War. And and that's what you do. This is the first album that Janet does a little bit of backing vocals. It's up, Janet. Again, produced by yeah. John Goodmanson. Uh, well, that's the comeback after Hot Rock. So now we've reunited with Dig Me Out's John Goodmanson. Kat Udicello of Pop Matters says this album has lovely harmonies, brilliant drum work. Great punk riffs and super smart lyrics, and I would agree. A lot of people say that this is their catchiest album, which I think might be before all, uh, No Cities to Love, because I think that that's probably there. Maybe. I don't know if I can agree with that. I I don't think this one stands out in particular compared to the rest of them, in terms of like... As far as being catchy? Hooks for days. I mean, I get it's what they're saying. I feel like this is their most concise and straightforward and polished album. Up to this point, Carrie said that this is. I think that's a great. The division between their now catalog and their previous catalog. This was the split. Uh, was this album? She. This is her least favorite album. I don't know why she doesn't like it. Other than maybe she doesn't have a deep emotional connection to the songs. Obviously, they wrote them really, wrote them really quickly, and there wasn't like a whole lot of back and forth as far as the songwriting and input. That might be part of it. Uh, but I could see why she would say that this is the line, because the hot rock was. Out of fucking nowhere. Uh, and this is more... I mean, they, they work with John again. That might have something to do with it. But this is seems more rooted. Could it be the album cover itself? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the album cover. Such a great album cover. One of the best. One of my favorites. I mean, it makes sense that it was an, like a, based off a movie from the 70s like that has a like, gritty like, oh, New York and just, But it's like totally Seattle. Totally mm-hmm. like grabbing a cab. I read that it's like uh, Carrie being dragged away in a bunny suit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's fun, but I don't know. I don't really like the cover. It looked like a weird sock hop from the 50s, and then yet. <laughs> well, I thought it was like a weird racist thing. Yeah, right. Like with that it guy who's like like looming over like he would over some poor black kid who's trying to go to school in Alabama. It kind of looks like uh, Commons like Water for Chocolate, the same kind of civil or, rights. Um, uh, uh, yeah, or like, uh, not Common, but uh, The Roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the one where the girl's running away. And that's what I thought it was, too, so I'm glad I'm not alone. Good, yeah. But no, it's just Carrie being carted off of a dance floor in a money suit because she raged too hard. I guess, but that's a story that you got to tell before you show that photo, and I don't think... I don't think that the album tells the story, and I don't think that the... Nothing tells the story. At all. But Ironclad? Hey. Hey. What a good song. song I don't know if... I wish there was a podcast out there that would talk about it. That'd be really cool. For me, this album is definitely catchy. But it's certainly not as experimental as the Hot Rock. 
No, it's not an experimental at all. As a lot of what will become Sleater Kenny staples do rear their heads here. Um, and, and things really start to take shape. I think uh, some of the guitar forms um, will be part of what I think of this classic Sleater Kidney going forward. And it's just a sharpening of what they've already done with those weird kind of staccato riffs back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, and um, obviously the overlapping vocals, which they've done, like they've now perfected. That's part of the reason why I don't, not to keep going back to it, but No Cities to Love doesn't do that. There's no. back and forth on one of the tracks, but there's no overlapping. See, the thing about No Cities to Love, I think, is what we're getting at, too, is like that 10-year gap has been a personal journey for them that we don't get to see in songs. Mm-hmm. So we don't see how it connects to their lives. Because for us, it's been a second, but for them, it's because been Because every years. one of these songs lines up with things they've already talked about. Youth Decay lines up right with, what is it, the heartbreak, the... Heart attack. Heart attack, yeah. With heart attack. Anorexia. Talking about her family. Uh, You're No Fun. You're No Rock and Roll Fun is the sequel to to Joey Ramone. 
or that would be the most um, persuasive in this case. And and it would be youth decay. But they would only think that after having the success of Dig Me Out. Yeah. And then having the weird sort of vibes from people with the hot rock. For me, it's ironclad, all hands on the bad one, youth decay, you're no rock and roll fun. And The Swimmer, it's actually about long-distance swimmer Lynn Cox. Yeah, I know. Um, they've read an interview with her. And she's about Lincoln's. These girls read interviews and read articles and then they write songs about it. Newspaper songs. Newspaper songs. What? Um, I saw Pompeii and both of them as the same because I saw Pompeii as like wanting to leave, like getting mm -hmm. away from something that was coming and then swimming as like a metaphor for leaving. So I really appreciated the two of them, but I don't like either of those songs. For me, the swimmer did this thing where they hadn't done before for me, which was – Give me that like small town gay bar vibe because there's yeah, a little bit like of westernness in it. It just like sad and romantic in a way that's not like romantic because it's talking no, about a lover, but it's like this weird. Well, even just the idea kind of, of like, thing. jumping in the water and swimming across a channel or something—that's mm -hmm. a romantic idea. Yeah, I like male model. I think it's I think it's great. The professional is fantastic. hundred. What? Well, oh my god! You know, you Ninety seconds. Ninety seconds of the professional. I mean, I would talk about literally every song if I could. Oh, yeah. I can't stress that enough. I love every single song of Slater Kinney's, even the ones that aren't my favorite. I still love them. I want to bring up, before we leave this song, number one must-have. People consider this the centerpiece of the entire record. Mm -hmm. um, oh, thank believe... God for saying something. I love that Corin Tucker was like, you think I'm this thing, or you think I'm not this thing. Either way, this is what I give a shit about. Yeah. What kind... Can you imagine... Being a person that would go to Woodstock '99, I can't. Now we were kids. We, I was. 12. Was that the second revival or was that the first? no '94? Was the we first. Listen to Bob Dylan playing. '94 was the first one, and that one was okay. -ish, well, we listened right? to Dylan singing on that. Yeah. Like it, Bob Dylan is a headliner at Woodstock '94. Right, yeah. No one's raping and you know burning shit down, fighting in mud, killing right. each other. Yeah, and so I read up a little bit on Woodstock. We're not going to get into it, but it's wild. Like they were so unprepared. Like Limp Biscuit was in that one, right? Limp Biscuit, yeah, and they had no idea that just what they were doing. They're, I mean, Fred Durst is a fucking idiot, but it's like they didn't realize like all the stuff that was happening, like the porta potties. There wasn't enough of them. There wasn't enough water. They were selling a slice of pizza for twelve dollars. Yeah, and like Rome, New York, which is where they were, like it's a tiny town, and you got to drive like two hours to get there. Damn. And you're like in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of fucking apeshit losers who are there for fucking Limp Biscuit. It's bad. It's gonna be bad. It was a fire festival, and there was a no, but actually the fire was set by there was a. a group that was uh they wanted to to hold a vigil during the red hot chili peppers singing under the bridge they were gonna hold the candles up you know have this beautiful moment but yet they used that to take plywood and and because of the water bottles there's water bottles everywhere and they're just lighting fires with it oh my God. it's terrible the through of the the song is the number one must have is that we need to say
love that she just comes out the gate with, can you believe this riot girl's a cynic? Like, mm-hmm. fuck you. You think you know. This this movement's been co-opted and destroyed and fucked over and, and now we're part of this machine that's just like, you want to come after girls. me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to come after me, girlpower.com? Like, call me a sellout? You know what matters is that we fucking make our own destiny and that we need to be safe and we need to eschew the patriarchy and we need to keep moving. But call me whatever the fuck you want to. That's fine. Like, uh, I'm just going to slowly destroy you over the course of an entire album (laughs) and all albums albums from here to the end of the world. (laughs) One Beat, 2002, a sly, possibly best album ever and definitely probably their most divisive one. According to one podcast host. Hang on. Wait, am I the podcast host? Yeah, you are. Released August 20th, 2002. Recorded between March and April of 2002 at Jackpot, again, in Portland. 43 minutes, 12 songs. A longer one for them, but not as long as... It just doesn't feel as long. It doesn't. Again, produced by John Goodmanson. Amen. They practice in Janet's basement for this one. Janet's lived in Portland for a very long time. Janet, so get it. Get it. I can get do it. it. Um, we might have our quibbles about the rest of them, but nobody got quibbles about you, girl. That's good. for sure. You goddamn 100% <laughs> always, Janet, is fine. Took a lot longer to write than all hands. Carrie and Corin had more of a back and forth piecemeal style to this one. Somebody would suggest something, they're going to go back into this. And, it's a goddamn um, banger of a record. <laughs> That's says, why they took their time. The songs are more intricate and yeah, require a lot more arranging and tweaking. Carrie called this a strident and pointed political album, lyrically. Which, duh. Um, and Robert Kurskow of The Village Voice. I brought him up last time. Yeah. So this was a defiant uplift. And I agree. Like, I agree, too. Yeah. This uh, is also a weird um, rock album that comes between 9-11 and pre-Iraq. They were obviously sort of sniffing it out. Uh, combat, rock, combat Rock, which is also the title of a Clash album. Uh, intentional yeah so this uh there's obviously a track on this album called combat rock but i think it opens right away with the title track of one beat that's a combat rock for sure yeah because janet's fucking marching us into the anti-bush anthem that's gonna be the floor for this whole album thanks janet and hypnotic drone they say that and that's what corn's voice is through that whole track hey look at this can you believe it the song that wakes me out of any stupor i might be in is Okay, so it's not a guitar. It's a it's a synth is what that noise as is. As far as I know, I mean it really could, it be, could a be a guitar because they do some crazy they shit do with their some effects. Crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, they were instruments. They were, I, and I you can't really get into it. It's kind of like, you know how Josh Ame is like um he's so guarded about his guitar setup and, yeah. and like it's a it's a prize thing, but they Corn and Kerry both are really conscious of the fact that they don't have a bassist and they really work towards making sure the low end is filled out. And they do it so flawlessly. It's a guitar. And the the first 
two or three, even I think up to Damian albums of theirs, they never changed pedals. They never changed tuning. They never changed anything. And for better or worse, however you want to come down on that. Until now. That's a fuck. Oh, yeah. I mean, that changed the hot rock, blew everything up. But that's huge. Like, nothing changed. Corin's voice, Carrie's voice, their lyrics. Janet was obviously a huge difference. (laughs) Amen, Jen. Jen, To be able to do that with two guitars. Like, to make that depth and range and just cacophony of sound. Sounds obviously no war, no bush, but it's also heartache, fear, and defiance in the face of it all. They're officially changed from their pre-Hot Rock days. Like, things are are never going to be the same. This is a a testament to that. Um, But there's still so much to go, which is crazy to think of. Because this is a really... I I, I get your argument for it being possibly the best Slater Kinney album. Because constantly striving to be better and to challenge themselves. That it'll even get different from here. Because this could be kind of a capstone yeah. because it does encompass a lot of what their career has been so far and adds a lot of new elements to it. Um, yeah, we were talking before we went on the pod, just sort of talking about the Cranberries the last time we sort of did a retrospective of an entire band. And I said, this could be the Bury the Hatchet. This could be the one weird distillatory album where it takes all the greatest elements, but also introduces all this new stuff. We've got sax and trumpets i don't even know what horns about. fucking whatever what we got happening? going on here but it, it does it does the things that you wouldn't expect it to do because you would expect them to be so within their faculties that they would just create almost the perfect amalgam between hot rock and you know a uh, bad one or even dig me out i mean jesus christ we have not heard that perfect distillation of those two ever but you would expect that to be the next iteration and then you get this and I know for some people they were incredibly disappointed, but I think this is the Barry the Hatchet. On some days, I could see this being my favorite record. Easy. For sure. No problem. For me, the best songs in here are One Beat, because... I mean, One Beat's a banger right off the bat. That's the, that's the combat rock. Combat rock isn't the combat rock. But that's... <laughs> Carrie said that that is uh, a reggae song by way of Joe Strummer. Hey. That is her... Hey, what's up? Testament to that song. I have talked about Coyote on this podcast before not a mixed up confusion but on the regular podcast <laughs> i love coyotes man they, they're fascinating to me and inside of that book by dan flores was the photo of of coyote getting on the max train no shit really in, yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's like the only you know there's not a whole lot of photos you know people don't see coyotes every single fucking day it's not that insane of a thing but yeah he got on the thing and he just sits there like a dog because they're just like I'm just, I don't know, I'm just watching you. I'm trying to get to Gresham. Like, chill out. Not a big big deal. Uh, Yeah, no. So I've seen that photo before. And the fact that they wrote a song about that photo, and not only wrote a song about that photo, but wrote an amazing song about that photo. All of it. I mean, if anybody, I I know we like harp on this Portland stuff, but in Burnside Will Be Your Street, where the kids and the hookers meet, diners and strip clubs junk, bookstores and punk rock clubs. Water building in sin. I'm as green as a blade in the grass that bends. Big Oregon City draws Draws you in. In the wind that blows in the long weekends. A promise fulfilled or not. Where I take the bridge to the water fountains. Just hang on till the summer it's hot. And to gain the hope that the city brings. Like, what? That's that duel in a chorus. Amen. That's when I think they're they're at the best.
How did I not know this existed? I know. It's a love song to the city in the, the best city. way. Yeah. And I, I just hot take. My favorite line was, if you want to be a friend of mine, cross over to the east side. Yeah, and I was like, that's fucking right. <laughs> because that they was mentioned Joan of Arc, too. Laurel Hurst, they've got a World War One memorial, too. and it's Oh, in the northeast? The north, the uh, Joan of Arc, yeah. Because it's man. that big roundabout that you go through. You've definitely been through there. Yeah. This song definitely gives glimpses of what will become the fox. Well, in Coyote, we talked about Old Man Coyote. There's There's a whole history behind the coyote as a... Um, you know, a religion and a mythology and yeah, to take the fox, which the fox and the coyote are best friends. It's often the coyote that goes out of his way recklessly and dies. And who is it that always brings him back to life? His best friend, the fox, who was always looking out for him. So it almost fits perfectly. God, that actually gives me goosebumps. That is incredible. I like immediately thought that about this song. I didn't even think twice about that. Wow. And the way that Corn even says the word coyote, it's like so much like stomp and grime and crunch. And it just then gives away to this like bubbly chorus. It's just. Yeah. And the dual chorus. Let's get it all going. Everyone's going. Larry Coyote. Shit, Janet probably got in on that too. And that's why it's probably the best. Because even Janet's like, I'm in. I'm rolling. Fuck yeah, I love Portland. I've been Portland my whole life. What's up? I also want to, before we leave and we finalize ourselves at the end with the woods, finally, I want to shout out Step Aside. This one has the lines where it's, uh, she, she, um, Corn yells, you know, move it up one time for love. Janet, Carrie, can you feel it? Oh, yeah. Knife through the heart of our exploitation. Ladies, one time, can you hear it? That's right. Damn. The one and only time she actually acknowledges the other people in the band. It's like. And she got Janet in there. Hell What's yeah. Up? Hell yeah. Yeah. One beat. Oh, light rail coyote combat rock Hollywood ending, but sympathy. Sympathy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you got to talk about sympathy. Sympathy is. I like so Carrie said the only time she's ever cried in the studio is when Corin did the vocals for this track, yeah. and she did it in one take, oh, and really? it's incredible. So the song is about Corin's uh, son, uh, Marshall. He was born nine weeks premature, and she was in the hospital begging a god she doesn't necessarily believe in to keep him alive, and realizing that there's other women that have not been so lucky. And what does that mean and grappling with all that? It's it's so sad. Um, I think it's also really straightforward. Her vocals are just like, there is not really much of a adornment that I'm giving here. I'm just kind of like, hey, one person to another. This is my song and I'm going to sing it. It's like <sighs> Slater Kinney doing the blues. Yeah, which, yeah. And not to say that I haven't had... Like, it's not even a blues song, but it is the yeah, blues. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's what brings us in, and then Carrie comes in to cut us apart before Corin Car- comes back to tell us Sally that, yeah, it really is that scary. That this is really this fucked up. I like up. to imagine after that, Janet comes out to apologize. <laughs> but no amount of Janet's anymore. cowbell can even cheer us up. No. It's perfect, it's a curse, it's a prayer, and it's gratitude. It's like... It's a beautiful song. Fucked up and amazing, and I love it. That might be their best um, finale of a record, too. It's a great closer, man. It's a great closer. It's hard to stop. They're not great on closers. No. They kind of just end. So this, yeah, this, that's a great point. This does feel like an intentional, this is the end of the album. Bury that. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like it was all intentional. Right. But what are we here to talk about, Daniel? (laughs) What is the, the, probably as intentional, if not more intentional. Although I guess maybe we'll get to the last song on that. And I like, I don't know how intentional (sighs) that is, but it definitely takes on its own weight, knowing what we know. So this would be the last album that Slater Kinney comes out for 10 years. What is it? The Woods. That's the one. 48 minutes, 10 songs. 
Released May 24, 2005, recorded between November and December of 2004. The first album on Sub Pop, produced by David Fridman. So, not John. No, no. Different guy. Recorded in Casadega, New York at Tarbox Road Studios. And it was recorded live in the studio. So, they were playing this all together the whole yep. fucking time, which is a rarity now, even to this day, obviously. We've talked about that a lot on Sun in the Window. And obviously. we praise it when it comes around, so... Kyle Ryan of the AB Club said this oh, is a quasi. Sure Kyle? Yeah. Kyle Ryan of the AB Club called this a quasi psychedelic classic rock sounding epic, which I don't necessarily agree with, but and it's 127 of 200 on Pitchfork's best albums of 2000. Well, the 2000, sorry. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, which yeah, I think like it should be higher. One beat should be higher than this. <laughs> <laughs> so David Fridman, uh, they they sought out a different producer for this album because again they wanted to change up their style they felt they were being stagnated this should also be noted that this is the biggest break between albums that they've had so far um so one beat comes out in 2002 and this is 2005 this is three years later the rest the longest breaks before this are two years well more like 18 months yeah um corin has had her child and she's kind of trying to do that whole life she's um her and lance have been together for a while now they um side note Corn Tucker marrying Lance Beggs, who I know as the fucking jackass guy. I don't know. Who that made is. me nuts. So he's the guy that is the like director of all the jackass oh, everything. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's the only reason I know him because I remember seeing him as a teenager, like dumb teenage boy thing, watching Jackass and be like, "Oh Lance!" <laughs> they would like cut to him. It's like, wait, you mean that fucking Lance Banks? Corn Tucker's married to that Lance Banks? Dude's come getting to, money. Come to find out. <laughs> He's actually a rock documentary, and he's been his whole yeah. life, and that's actually why Corn ended up meeting him. It's not anything to do with Jack West. Go well, figure. I would imagine. You would imagine. But then Kathleen Hanna's fucking married to the dude from Beastie Boys. It's like... Who is Janet married to? Oh, the guy from... The other guy from Quasi. Their band together is like... Okay, so no one. Just yeah, Portland guy. Yeah. That's fine. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Janet at least is keeping her real. And Carrie's like, I fuck whoever I want. <laughs> that's right, Carrie. You do whatever you want. Um... Anyway, that just that made me fucking nuts. Nice. I don't remember what I was talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something so, about the woods. The recording process. Yes. yes. Carrie said it was like a couple months where they would just eat, sleep, and breathe music. Um, he, She said that anytime they would make a choice for a song, if they couldn't back up why they were doing it, he would make them do it again. Like, why does this need to happen right now? Well, if you don't have a good reason, we're not going to do it, so you need to do it different. Which is really interesting considering there's a huge... Six fucking minute musical break that didn't need to happen, but we can get it in a second. Excuse me. <laughs> and I mean, like, that's got to change you. So, so Corn was very much into her family and her, her, her very young child. And I think that was the, why the, the break was so big between albums. Carrie said that she, her, it was actually her and Janet that wrote the majority of this album because Corn wasn't 100% ready to come back. Mm. And she felt like she had pushed Corn into it. And there's this really great line in her book where she said something uh, similar to, we pushed Corrin so far out that you can really hear her struggling to even come back to existence in a lot of these songs. She wasn't ready, but we made her. And then that was the only way for her to fight her way back. And I was like, holy shit. That makes it even better. It's so good. This album is fan-fucking-tastic. It's out of this world. I don't think it's from this planet. But luckily we found it. And we get to listen to it. So, The Woods. Hey, Daniel. this is like a Battlestar Galactica thing. Oh, it is kind of like Battlestar Galactica. Nice. The, the songs have always existed. You just kind of yeah. pull them out of the, the galaxy. Fox was watching, we just left. 
like we were saying at the very beginning, The Woods was my first interaction with it. I, the, the artwork for this in particular is beautiful. I love the Slater Kinney underneath the curtains, the S and the K, mm-hmm. or the S and the Y on the on the ends are sort of, you know, obscured. I love that. I just think it's beautiful. I love the stage with the trees, the trees in it. This is a different album. But it's different, yeah. And so when you hear it and you hear The Fox, is a great song. But it's not really like anything we've heard before. This is the number one song of all Slater Kinney for uh, Spin, that list of all their 109 ranked. Not so. I like the song, but not I, I mean, I feel the – I mean, the second this song hits, this is different. This is different, not only from every Slater Kinney album, but maybe every album I've ever heard. Like, Whoa. It's just like those guitars are so fucked up, like distorted, doesn't make any sense. Chunky. Yeah, chunky. That's fair. It's just like the the floor drops out, everything's shifted, mm-hmm. everything's changed. Especially when you're like in a deprivation situation where you're like not the whole world's blocked out and you hear this song is coming in. Dun, dun, oh my God. Amazing. This throws you into chaos. The only thing that's like holding you on, like keeping you through is Corin's voice. But that doesn't even seem safe. Her voice is still fucking scary and you don't know what's happening. I think this is the hardest the band has ever strummed thumped or screamed like all in one out of nowhere just like, I like it I boom like it. here we go uh and i don't think you can come away from without your brain rearranged just a little bit like if you're thinking about slater kenny or just like if you're minding your own business here it is I Carrie- mean, you sold me i want to go back and listen <laughs> to the box right now <laughs> carrie brownstein said that slater kenny makes terrible background music and it's is slater kenny a band you can sing along to sometimes but good luck trying to keep up with corn tucker and or singing both of the parts at the same time. I mean, like, what, the, I who do you choose? That's <laughs> so apt. Is yeah, like, that's very good. I think the best things, like, the, the two best quotes of that book is <laughs> Jana Weiss hit the drums harder than we've ever heard anyone or ever played with. And, uh, can't, it's Slater Kenny, a band you can sing along with sometimes, but good luck keeping up with Court and Tucker, I think is like, that's it. That's Slater Kenny. From there, we go to the wilderness, which is a very Slater Kenny song. So it kind of goes yeah. right back to. Uh, what is it? Well, Lenny, if, Lenny and Linda? Kenny and Linda. If your face hasn't melted off, here's a little yeah. bit of reprieve. Here's a little bit of respite. But I want my face to melt off completely. That's almost <laughs> a thing, too, where it's like you're really playing with fire when you got something like that. And then you sort of don't. Well, you do because there's enough songs on there that keep up that that textual basis. I don't think Wilderness is one. That's not one that I'm fond of. I like it. There's also a weird noise in the back that kind of sounds like someone forgot to take the needle off the record, but inside of a giant tin can, it's a really unique sound that I don't know how they came up with, but it's very fucking cool. And then I think this is also like a testament or like a a little love song to the Pacific Northwest. Like obviously Kenny and Linda went somewhere out West and then they end up in a city where hippies run wild and everything's white. I'm like, that's gotta be Portland Portland. (laughs) because we got some problems. And then it turns into a psychedelic meltdown. Because if we're thinking of them up in, Casadega, you know, talking about what are we going to do for this song? Yeah. Oh, hey, let's buzz it out. We Listen, just, oh, like, cool, we're bro. hanging out, like, shooting guns and riding snowmobiles with the neighbor boys and, like, oh yeah, making dinner together and just, like, doing whatever. What a weird little cool retreat. And then to just think, doing. hey, let's do a pretty cool song that halfway through becomes just noise. Yeah.
ping pong back and forth with the guitars. It's so crunchy and good. The low end of the guitars on this track particularly was mine as yours. Shouldn't be possible. And I think Josh Ame would be like mm, jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's it. It kind of puts you back in like nothing happened, which is really cool. Jumpers is great. Jumpers is probably okay. the highlight of the entire record. And another newspaper song singing about people jumping off. I remember that article being a thing. I don't know if I ever read it in 2003, but I remember it existing. Yeah, just about. Yeah, and they pull, you know, stuff from that article. And just reading about Carrie's experience with that song and, like, singing and stuff is fucking sad. Oh, yeah. You know, she was drawing from her own feelings uh, being isolated in California. Uh, California. She went to California uh, to be closer to uh, someone she was dating at the time, and she thought maybe she would be an academic, like maybe she would go down that route. This later, can you get a workout? Blah, blah, blah kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then just being miserable. Yeah. Uh, she said she broke down in tears while she was reading the article and just kind of inspired. I think this is the most triumphant song ever written about suicide. Like the way that they spin it, the lyrically, and just how the the song breaks. Well, that bridge, her bridge on there, it's almost triumphant when it's yeah. It, it's like which makes it powerful because you're like oh i don't really want to be on that side but then you it humanizes it it makes it like okay what if it was the last what if this is the end what what would that feel like what would that look like yeah it's amazing and the finale is so great i mean just like four seconds what was the longest wait was the longest wait oh my god yeah. that's amazing and for me it, because the way this song feels uh and how triumphant it is and how good it is at the end of that four seconds and in the video, this is a thing, too. But, like, even independently of this, uh, it feels like you're not hitting the ground. You're going to fly. And in the video, the girl is making wings out of her. It's, like, whatever. Very but, like, sweet. beyond that, like, that's the image I conjured before seeing the video. Yeah. Um, just because it doesn't feel sad. It's yeah. not a judgmental thing. It's, like, oh, man, yeah. Ugh. It's just so good. Yeah. Modern Girl. I fucking love this song. It's a fantastic Anyone song. Anyone who doesn't love this song can eat it. <laughs> and for me, it is a, a perfect culmination of all the styles that they were doing. Harmonica! Bubblegum pop, dissonance, harmonica in there? Question mark. Confirmed. Confirmed! <laughs> it's also really sarcastic, which I like. And uh, it references Brave New World. Later, we're going to do 1984. Modern Girl. It obviously could be a cynical point of view of like, happiness is is not fulfilling and like nothing's actually real but i really believe carrie when she said my whole life's a picture like a, of a sunny day oh, and like nice. i do see this completely cynical I, I i do but like the way she sings it i don't know it makes me feel good to sing especially along. if you're jumpers i just can't see it i know but i still i well, i catch myself by myself like, my whole life and maybe well, just the way, way she, she sings, sings it it's yeah. just like it makes me feel good to pretend i just see her as a riddling adult you know adderall like House mom, just like <laughs> Stepford oh, kind of situation. My life yeah. Is great. Uh, but yeah, entertain. If you were so stupid to think that Carrie Brownstein is not every bit the integral piece of this band that Corn Tucker is, and every bit the vocalist, maybe not for the range and the depth, but like her own unique style, and a fucking amazing guitarist, entertain, eat your fucking heart out.
because this track, I could say that this was, this is probably, I don't know. This is, this and the Fox. 9%. This and the Fox are, are one and two for me on the album. Oh, wow. That's nice. Jumpers. Yeah, it's so hard. Bullshit. They're all the best. Jumpers is good. <laughs> yeah. See, I can't go that far. I can't say that they're all the best. Janet gets a piece of the vocal action. Don't wear me down on the O's. I just like, fuck me up. This song yeah. is fantastic. A lot of these songs could be a lot shorter. Roller Coaster is a great example. You know, we had a good time at the beginning. It tasted just like all the things I was missing. I go a full boil to you. Stop me. Yeah. yeah. Two minutes and 10 seconds. Cut out the fat. This is a dig me out song. Mm. I love this song. I love that Janet drops her sticks at the beginning. They leave it in. And I oh, love that I there's giggles either. at the end of it. Yeah, I also, so because I had only a burned copy of this album, like I said, my yeah. uh, girlfriend at the time made me all their albums. This song burger? legit oh. stops and restarts. <laughs> like it never happened. So I thought there was something wrong with my CD. Okay. I don't know if you noticed, like things are going weird and everything. Suddenly it's like, because that opening line, dun, 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 uh-huh. dun. We get fuzzed out and we do all things. It was a good time. Like right. everything happens. And then out of nowhere, dun, 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 dun. I was like, what the fuck just happened? So I thought for sure my album was messed up. No, that's the song. That's the song. And I think that is the most fun, meta, f- weird shit that's ever happened in a song. Like, you just made me think that I you had a broken it. song. <laughs> like, I amazing. do like that when it does that dissonance. And you're like, oh, it's skipping. You can't really do that anymore because nobody has a CD to skip. Right, yeah. But you could do, like, audio crackling, like a... Uh, like you're buffering or something on oh, your headphones not 100% yeah exactly <laughs> yeah you kind of drop in and out and stuff uh steep air is another song that kind of gets away too a slow leaving song longer song not as long of course as let's call it love but. yeah i don't know for steep air though like again with the boat metaphors but it's like a sludge kind of it's slow dark quote for even slater kinney like it's not really slow either, but sludge. I, I like the sludgeness because yeah. the guitars are very sludgy on this, going from the fox onward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the, the whoever's fucking... got that tone, whoever's got that tone, that that's what they decided. This is gonna that be crazy the crazy distortion, and then we'll deep. let the other person kind of grab on the staccato ness and and kind of roll on roller coaster and wilderness. Like mm-hmm. probably Carrie, if I'm gonna just say it, because those songs are sung by her. I'm pretty sure. So it's like it makes sense to me that like. Corin's probably got the sludge guitar. Yeah. And Carrie's got the Carrie's staccato. doing any of the, any of the noodle stuff. Yeah, Carrie's okay. So, so Carrie's that. probably always staccato. Um, and so that really works because that's definitely their sound. But it's all about Corin then. It's all about like what kind of what kind of tonal mess are we about to try to like weave throughout a 40-minute record. And, and I say mess in the most beautiful way oh, I yeah. possibly can. But the, it is a mess because, I mean, let's talk about the mess of the record, which some people – hate you're not a huge fan of it let's call it love long song 11 minutes long you're not a big fan of long songs i'm personally a huge fan of the random ass 11 minute long song battle of hampton roads just going for it going all out again i don't hate the songs i, I know like i know i know songs. i know but you're not a huge fan of it and i can't stop. six minutes was too long i do i do it, believe six minutes could be cut from this Yes. I believe I only cut off about a minute of roller coaster. So who's who's the murderer here? <laughs> I mean, I I think I get what they were doing, and I see why it was an important piece. But you think I they think... justified this though to that guy? And they must or have, he like, right? Or he probably just like walked off. Whatever the farm his that name day. was, Friedman. Tybalt Friedman. 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 Yeah, 
yeah, I mean, they clearly... Tibbles. I don't know. But you can't stop Carrie coming in with that, such a long time, wasted such a long time, wasted all my time, wasted all my fucking time. Amazing. So it, it definitely has its merits. It's a good song. It's just, you got to be ready for that. Have if you you're not in the mindset, suddenly you're like, holy shit, I've been listening to this for six minutes of just crazy guitar noises. I got to But I think stop. if you're listening to Slater Kinney, even on a random shuffle or something like that, we just said before that they're not a band that, that They make disappear. terrible background music. Yeah. This is the moment where they make okay background music. Uh, and you can find yourself sort of getting lost and then being brought back. I think that's good music uh, sometimes when you can do that. Music doesn't always have to be something you engage with all the time. It can just be beautiful noises in your ear. And I will say this song is beautiful. It's beautiful in the sludgy mess that it can be. And I love it. I love it a lot. Final song of Slater Kinney before we get to No Cities to Love. Nightlight. Live in the present and spin off the rays of the sun. Very last line that we heard for a whole decade. It's a beautiful, beautiful line, beautiful sentiment. Sweet send off. And a great, a, a, it's a good song. It's a good song. I won't say it's a great, I won't say it's the best, but it's a really good, clo- I think it's a good closer. I think it's a stronger closer than other records have had, so... I think Corn's voice in this song uh, makes you want to cry, just the way it sounds, mm-hmm. uh, which is impressive, regardless of the lyrical content, whatever it means. It's just her voice specifically. And the, the like the horror movie kind of echoes surrounding the track um, yeah. are just very cool. It's a, it's a very... Like, Would you have rather song. had this as the end or let's call it love? This. Okay. <laughs> and this is actually all uh, one, one song initially. Okay. Um, and okay. then... At some point Ooh, during the recording, cool. like um, Carrie was like, oh, this could just be two songs. They're actually in the same key. I didn't realize. Let's just chop this up real quick. Oh, that's too bad. I kind of like the idea of just like a long 15-minute song. But I kind of get why they did because this is, this is certainly a different. different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really provide a sweet feel. You know, you're not really going through yeah. three parts to a song or whatever. I, think this is I didn't realize that, but actually that makes a lot more sense, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's a weird end for Slater Kinney. It's a weird way to, we started obviously with No Cities to Love, but really we started in 94. To think of the band starting there and end ending with Nightlight. Nightlight, that's a wild ride, man. That is a weird weird ride. You would never clock that ever happening. No. And I think that's the reason Slater Kinney is still with us today is that they had not even the vision, but like the willingness to try something different. To push themselves, yeah. to to never stay static or stagnant. We want to be something different. We always want to try, and we're not gonna. No one, and not especially ourselves, is gonna hold us to any standard. We're gonna do what we want to do. Hell yeah! And I think that's fucking amazing. And that's it. That's it. So we are we are done with Slater Kinney. What a ride! SOTW pod for um, Slater Kinney on the window. What's uh, over the, the week? Slater Kinney, <laughs> o- Slater Kinney over the week. SOTW pod. Uh, we've been lying this whole episode. We are actually huge fans of Slater Kinney over the week. Uh, we're also <laughs> known as Words and Guitar. We love the podcast. So if you're interested, uh, the, the newest episode came out on April Fool's Day. So feel free so to weird. go back and I know what a weird thing. Go back and listen to that. We're actually going to be hosting it on our channel just for now. So if you're curious about the rest of it, let us know. Let us know what you thought about uh, Words and Guitar. But otherwise, we are found at SOTW pod for all of your Slater Kinney news but also all of your bob dylan news wow i haven't said the name bob dylan quite a long time at this point uh (laughs) however uh bob dylan still still lives on in the same way that slater kenny lives on 
And you know what? We're broadening our horizons. We hope that you've really enjoyed this episode. Please go out and listen to Slater Kinney on Apple, on Spotify, on Burn CDs from your ex-girlfriends. Gotta do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. But otherwise, we want to thank you for uh, for indulging us for uh, a band that we truly, truly love. We will, of course, be back for more Bob Dylan in the future and hopefully a lot more artists that we that we love beyond the old songster, as they call him. Bob Dylan, the old Famously. songster. I'm, I'm curious about – I know that there's probably a connection between Slater Kinney and Bob Dylan, but I did not look it up. Mm, weird. De- 100% yeah, there's going to be a cover somewhere or some sort of a lyrical flourish or a – or a line even. There were a couple lines where I was kind of curious and then I never followed up on because they were just a little too vague. But they're not a, you know, one-to-one reference. They did but. have a penchant for covering classic rock songs at the beginning of their careers. Right. That They did the famous cover more of than uh, More Than a Feeling. Boston. That's right. Um, Should have covered Highway 61 Revisited. All on the Watchtower. Yeah. That's, that's played out. Sarah. Sarah! Can you imagine? It's actually Sweet about Carrie. Virgin Angel, sweet love of my life. <laughs> on that note, I guess we're gonna we're gonna roll on out. Battery is down to three percent. So Kelly, we're going bi-weekly until July. So we are going to see you again on uh, the sixteenth for with God on our side. It feels like it's been forever. We've been listening to this for a long time. You went off to Colorado. We don't have time, Kelly. I'm sorry. There's only there's only so much percentage Rage left. against the dying of the yeah, light. Yeah, I know, right? How was Colorado, Kelly? Was it, was it so great? Good. Oh, my God. Well, we'll have to talk about it later. See you later. Goodbye. Bye. You know, just like you, there's this huge cultural push to say, let's encourage women to be scientists and engineers and mathematicians and let's, you know, show them examples of it. So it's it's like, very similar to that. I feel like that's part of my role being a musician and part of why I want to be a musician is to show women an alternative to sort of the cultural norms of, uh, you know, the, the stereotypes of what we're supposed to be, you know, demure and quiet and, um, you know, motherly. For a young woman to see um, three very powerful, independent, uh, creative women who are not operating within a box, it is enticing.